so welcome to episode 33, the Uwe Blab edition of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. Uwe Blab, of course, the great number 33 in these years with the Spurs. Daz, you'd remember that, no doubt. Yes, I remember um, Uwe Blab from Indiana from watching Big Ten basketball. So yeah, he was a he was a foe from the time he set foot in this uh, in America for me. And then yeah, Uwe, Uwe, Uwe Blab, Uwe Blab. Yeah, he was a ginger, wasn't he? He was. He was. <laughs> yeah. It's a defining feature. He's maybe yeah. the third or fourth greatest German player ever in the NBA, behind what Dirk Detlef Schrempf. Who else would we missing? Um, that um, space filler in Boston. What's his name? Tees? Tibor Plesch? Yeah, so he, I noticed him the other day. Shemor so. Plek, what's his name? Yeah, he he was running some hard minutes with Shane Larkin the other <laughs> the other day. And I thought, wow, how the mighty Ainge has fallen. But um, Well, he started he, for them in the game I'll watch, so he must be he, going too bad. Uh, so, Daz, we're going to start tonight with with some news, though. And since we sort of basically as soon as we went off air last week, the Eric Bledsoe news broke, and we sort of did wonder what his future would be after sending the tweet. And not long after that, the Suns confirmed uh, that he won't be back with the team. Uh, but they haven't been able to pull off a trade just yet. Number of teams uh, in and around the trade rumors. The main ones I keep hearing are the Knicks. Denver and Milwaukee, but none of those teams seem to be able to get a deal done. I've got a feeling this is going to be a little bit like the two OKC trades we saw. Not to say that OKC are going to be the team, but I think there's going to be a left field team we're not even thinking about at the moment that's going to come in at the last minute with a deal here. But what have you sort of heard anything else about those teams, and, and what are your thoughts on the trade assets? Because the Bucks have been heavily interested in him, and, but apparently the Bucks are not willing to depart with Thon Maker or Malcolm Brogdon as part of the deal? Well, a few things boil my blood like um, incompetent management and this um, this got the blood going and I'm gurgling over the edge when I this as this unfolded. So um, I know you and I had a bit of an exchange offline as well about I think you, you've made some uh, wouldn't I guess they're not unfounded concerns about Bloodsoe's leadership or is he a locker room cancer or is, you know, what's Bledsoe's state of mind, but I'm, I'm firmly in the camp of we're products of our environment. When that environment takes a guy who's having a career year and whose entire life is based on, you know, playing a high level competitive basketball and your, your management says, you know what, don't want you to play, you go sit down. And what's what they did to Bledsoe, right? Sitting the guy for a full month, maybe more while he's having the best year of his career especially considering, right, he hasn't always been the healthiest guy. He's had some various um, nicks and bumps and a you know, knee tweak, et cetera, here and there. And so he was playing at a high level and playing um, playing healthy, and they sat him down. And so that lingers. The offseason unfolds. They walk into this season. What happens in the first couple of games? you got Devin Booker bringing the ball up the court. Um, you've heard me whinge last week about um, the lineups they were running out um, with Marquise Chris next to Len. Chris and um, and Bender on the floor together, just the bigs all over the place. And you just, right, and they lost by 50 three days in a row, what it felt like. And so, um, which led to obviously Earl Watson's firing. And at the same time, then he had that famous or now infamous tweet. So part one, you said a healthy guy and that's can't sit well. You're not going to win friends with Bledsoe, his agent or, or, or veteran teammates about your entire franchise when you 
when you so visibly tank, not just tank, but then sit guys having very important career years. Um, number two, start the season off in the shitter the way they did. And then number three, the way McDonough – look, Bledsoe didn't need to send that tweet, right? No doubt he was he was furious. And if those of you are living under a rock, the tweet basically said, I don't want to be here. That's all he said, and he didn't recant it. That thing set up and is, I think, still up. Well, it was up, up the day after he sent it. The thing that got me, where I'm getting back to my management, uh, really infuriating me, Daz, was then McDonough comes out and basically says, you know what? Uh, Bledsoe lied to us. He said he was in a hair salon. We don't believe him, and so we've asked him to go home. Hmm. So I come from the world where leadership and uh, management, when you're the leader, Eric Bledsoe is the employee, you have the responsibility to sit down, um, set set a standard, open up a line of dialogue and work out a path where both parties can coexist. And uh, McDonough is obviously not skilled in leadership, management, communication, motivation, or for that matter, getting to a long way to get to your point, Daz, about having an appreciation for um, valuing the assets on his team and thinking if in his mind, if in McDonough's mind, he said, you know, we're going to move on from Bledsoe after this. Why the fuck do you say anything? You'd go, you you have a sit down, you do, you get David, um, it's David Falk, right? This is um, LeBron's no, buddy. Paul. Sorry, Rich Paul, David Falk, what am I saying? Yeah, yeah agents mixed, uh, superstar yeah. agents mixed superstar up. Superstar mixed up, yeah. Rich Paul agent, you go, look, um, we don't like that. We don't appreciate it. And um, uh, you probably don't want to be here because you said it, you said so, so let's all play together. Let's play your ass off. Let's, but we'll work out a trade. And you do like what Kyrie did in Cleveland, right? And they kept that thing as someone as famous as Kyrie kept that a secret for, I guess none of us will really know, but let's say at least weeks that was kept secret, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Bledsoe could have issued a mea culpa, issued an apology. McDonough says, yeah. And they get out there and play with new um, Jay Triano, the new coach, and you work out a trade that way. Or at least do two things. One, you send a signal to the league that Eric Bledsoe is still your guy. And number two, he's playing and creating value. So instead, McDonough is petulant, uh, immature, juvenile, and soon to be out of a job, I would have to imagine. He's torpedoed Eric Bledsoe's value. So what do I think is a long way of saying if Bledsoe was back on the court, got a slap on the wrist, and was back playing basketball, I think he's... I think he's worthy of a probably pretty decent package. Now we're sitting at home, pissed off, uh, disenfranchised, and and the GM basically has backed themselves into a corner. I think Phoenix is now going to be faced with, uh, no doubt the phone calls have come, and the offers haven't been anywhere near what they want, and the teams are saying they're asking for way too much. And now we're going to get into a staring contest because last time I checked, I don't know, 25 teams are set at point guard, right? 24, right, if you stretch it out a little bit. So the vast majority of teams are set at point guard in a very deep um, a very deep sort of talent base at the moment. And now you've, you've just torpedoed the value of your, of your player. And now what? And now he's at home. And he can't, what, is he coming to the, does he come to practice? I don't know. Does he have friends on the team? Probably. What are they? What are they talking about? So he basically created himself an untenable, unworkable situation. 
Yeah, I mean, look, let me just, I'll just tack on the end of that. I, I, I agree with you on the, the sitting him last year. I think that was inexcusable. I mean, that is a, a disincentive to perform for players. So you're basically saying, if you perform too well and win us an extra four or five games, we're going to just sit you and you won't even take the court. So it was inexcusable at the time. It's even more inexcusable looking back on it now. And you'd certainly understand the frustration from Eric Bledsoe's point of view. But my, I guess my point on the trading was, I think it's a bit, little bit of buyer beware. And, and again, as you to your point, they've tanked his value by sort of saying, look, we don't want this guy here. We think he's a liar and he's this and that. And then the, the players came out in the two games immediately after he was off the team and looked happy, looked like they were enjoying their basketball, played with a freedom there. Maybe that's Earl Watson not being there. Maybe it's Eric Bledsoe not being there. But I guess from my point of view, I just look at it and think, buy beware, I wouldn't be giving up too much for this guy because you just don't know what sort of psychology he's going to bring uh, to the game. But there's no question that at his best, and to be fair to him, he has never been a problem before either. It's not like a, he's been mm-hmm. a serial offender in this way. So uh, yeah. it, it would be a matter of whether you want to take the risk. But I mean, if I'm looking at a team like the Bucks who are building a nice culture there. You've got, who knows? I mean, my feeling on Brogdon is he's probably already hit his ceiling or not too far from it. I don't know that there's going to be a lot more development in him uh, I mean Delhi's a disaster you know my feelings there but um, I'm not sure I, I wouldn't be looking to give up Malcolm Brogdon but if you don't give up Brogdon you bring your Bledsoe in then one of Brogdon or Delhi is a bit superfluous so well, it's an interesting question I think that the Bucks would need to answer there's no way I'm giving up on Thon Maker this early either not that you're giving up on him but I, I wouldn't be selling him either so there's the so um, the four teams you mentioned Nick's Bucks Nuggets and I think Magic, maybe they're kind of the hinted fourth team, although their start might give them pause to deal, you know, to deal youthful assets. So Phoenix has made it known, right? They want youth, they want young players with maybe a pick, um, but they want, you know, they want younger guys with, with upside. Um, but they also don't want guys on, on long contracts. So um, that kind of actually rules Brogdon out. He's got, I think, three, three guaranteed years, and he's also 24, right? Brogdon's yeah. not like... He's not a pop. I think they probably also want someone who's, you know, can kind of grow um, with Booker and Jackson, who are 19, 20. They're both 20, if I'm not mistaken. So funnily enough, Brogdon's in the second year, and he's probably a bit too old. And I have to say, in the camp of uh, Bucks fandom, it is trepidatious at best, almost the majority sort of saying, God, yes, we understand that Eric Bledsoe is a better player than Malcolm Brogdon, but he's only got two years on his deal, probably isn't going to stick around. And Brogdon already has proven to be, they call him the president. He runs the floor. Yes, he's probably not going to make all-star games, but he's also, he's getting kind of, for me, the modern equivalent of an Andre Miller, where he's just going to run a professional basketball team. And I could see Malcolm Brogdon running an Eastern Conference championship team, right? Running it, minimal mistakes, um, leading that defense at the point, right at the you know at the nail up top, and right he's a locker room glue. So I think in Bucks fandom, they're like, boy, we certainly love the talent of a Bledsoe, but man, we almost don't know if you want to give up Brogdon just because he's probably going to be around for a long time, mm-hmm. and he's already built built that chemistry. So um, the other thing, right, was there's no way they're giving up Thon full, full stop. I, wasn't, I also then heard them that similar things coming out of the New York camp 
I don't know what to believe or not believe, but the murmurs are that, you know, Frankie Smokes and um, Willie Hernan Gomez are also two players who would fit the Suns' profile. They don't want to give up on either. And so that sort of narrative has forced Hornacek to come out and say that um, uh, management has given him the green light to, you know, to play the players who have, um, who are performing. And so you notice Frankie Smokes and Willie aren't getting a lot of runs. So I almost thought, well, you know, are they, are they benching him to actually just simmer a trade? Um, and who knows? Maybe the truth will come out in the middle that you know, they actually are benching him because they want to keep him from being injured. And there's a, a trade in the in the um, in the mix, but based on what I saw from the Knicks today, I don't think that's probably the case. And Orlando, um, I'll be honest, I haven't watched them deeply yet, but I you know the theoretical Alfred Payton as kind of the cornerstone again. Phoenix needs a point guard and want a point guard. I know there's. Again, the jury's probably out on on Alfred, fine player, but is he going to lead your team to a, you know is he going to lead a forty eight win team? Don't know. So it's like I don't really know what Orlando gets with Bledsoe, another micro upgrade. Well, like, I like it for Orlando because what what we're you? seeing from Orlando is Evan, Evan Fournier is showing some playmaking chops, which I never thought about him. But since Peyton's gone, then he's really taking over the point guard duties. Uh, and, I mean, I know DJ Augustine's nominally the point guard, but really the playmaking is coming from Fournier at the moment, and they're really impressed with that. And I could see a Bledsoe-Fournier backcourt actually working quite well, uh, similar to what we saw in Phoenix when Dragic was there, um, because Fournier's sort of showing that that, st- that sort of game, which I, I never sort of saw that. I thought he was just a spot-up shooter, um, you know, reasonable defender, uh, without being fantastic, but he, he's come a long, a long way, come a, a fair way in his playmaking development. And DJ Augustine's really just playing, he's almost a poor man's Eric Bledsoe, the role he's playing at the moment. And they've started four and two. They did lose today uh, to the Hornets, but they've had some good wins. They've already beaten the Spurs quite comfortably and the Cavs quite comfortably. So I actually really like that deal. And I actually don't mind the Peyton going the other way to Phoenix. Maybe you'd have to throw in a second rounder as well. Uh, from Orlando's point of view, and I'm not sure how the, the salaries would match up. You might need to do something else there. But in terms of just a, a pure fit, I think this is... you you With the point guard you want at Phoenix is not necessarily a shoot-first guy, and I think Peyton's more of a pass-first guy. Uh, and with Devin Booker there, that's probably what you want. Um, and again, Euless is a similar type of player, but just not probably as good as what Peyton is. And Peyton showed some signs. I mean, he had a good end to last season in terms of the numbers he was putting up at the very least. So, And you can sort of get a look at him for a few years and sort of see where, where he's going. So I, I like the move for both teams, actually. That's a trade I'd, I'd really like to see done. In terms of the other ones, I think the Knicks, <coughs> I don't see why the Knicks would want Bledsoe. That, they might win an extra four or five games if Bledsoe comes in and they don't want to be winning games this year. Um, you know, they're, they're showing some reasonable signs. Uh, we'll no doubt probably touch on their game as the Cavs today a bit later on. Um, but they're not looking too bad at all. The Bucks we've sort of touched on. And Denver, they need a point guard, but is Bledsoe the type of point guard? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I like I like him at the Nuggets from the point of view they can play that up-tempo style that sort of George Carl had them playing uh, and, and playing the up-tempo style in the altitude there in Denver is a, a real advantage for them. 
Uh, so I could see him fitting in, but of course their roster construction is not really set up elsewhere to play that faster style. And I sort of think they're, they're sort of caught between two styles of basketball at the moment. So I'm not sure mm-hmm. on that. And, and I don't know what assets are they going to be giving back that, that uh, is going to interest Phoenix as well. So I'm just not sure they're going to be able to get the deal done. Uh, so for me... I'd love to see the Magic get the deal get the deal there, but I'm not sure. Mate. Again, maybe there is another team we're not even thinking of that might might come in at the last minute. But did you have anything to add to that story at this point? No, I, I think he's I, I, just just a counterpoint. I, I think he'd probably be the it makes the least sense for a team like Denver, who uh, I think they need to figure out what they have before they start making you know start trading from their depth. So I, if I'm Denver, I just don't see why uh, another $15 million a year guy for the next two years. I, I just don't see how he helps them, one, you know, make a run deep in the playoffs, or two, help them develop, you know, their players. So he just takes minutes from a, you know, let's say they trade, a, maybe the trade centers around Moutier in a future first or something, and whatever, some maybe Fareed goes to fill out the, you know, the, the, make the salaries match, I go, Okay, minus Moutier at Bledsoe. What what do you have? So I just uh, Denver for me is in kind of NBA, not quite purgatory, but they're in a they're in a figure out what they have sort of season. Um, they're going to make my list of one of the good bads or uglies. I'll talk about them later. But yep. you've actually can maybe convince me that that Orlando would be a nice fit with that style of play, a very you know, athletic sort of style of play with um, with Gordon and this. You're right, the new playmaking of Fournier and and Bled might be a nice sort of um, might might be a nice thing, but again, that's going to be what a 35 win team. So I'm not sure. Look, he doesn't have a no trade, so he can get traded anywhere. But um, uh, I just I would like to see Bledsoe on a in a winning situation, just for what he's gone through. And I, I'm on the fence about the Bucks. I'm like, if you can get him and keep Brogdon and Thon, so if you can do something around a. You know, DJ Wilson in the future first plus salary filler like a, a Telly or a Henson, you're great. But the only way a team like the Bucks, who could theoretically be knocking on a top three seed if things fall right, the way Giannis has ascended, you definitely take the talent like Bledsoe. But the way you do it is like the way OKC has done it, where you, you find ways to protect your core players. And so Bledsoe has a third wheel, you know, with Giannis and Middleton, I think is a fucking great fit. Imagine him being the third best player. So I, I actually could envision a future where if the Bucks could find a way to do it without giving up uh, Brogdon and Thon, I'm definitely all in on it. But, um, yeah, like you said, there's probably a yeah, – where's the mystery team? It's, it's hard to go mystery team because, again, I kind of go, there's 20, 24 teams set a point card. That's where I, I start to get a bit, you know, I sort of, sort of lose the ideas. My NBA trade machine is pretty limited then. Yeah. Well, well, we'll no doubt follow it. Hopefully, look, he moves sooner rather than later and the whole mess can be put behind Phoenix and, and Eric Bledsoe and they can move on. But let's move on ourselves, Dad. We'll go to the good, bad and the ugly. Uh, I might go first this week, if you don't mind. I might go with my good. And it's really just a question without notice for you and it's a bit of overreaction theatre as well, I'm imagining. But is the Eastern Conference better at the moment than what we anticipated it was going to be? Because it certainly seems that way. Uh, and I say that because I watched a bit of the Detroit game today, and I know you did. Detroit's gone into LA and then gone into Golden State and won both games pretty comfortably. 
We've seen the Spurs on an Eastern Conference road trip at the moment. They're 1-2. and two. They face Boston tomorrow. You'd imagine they're going to end up 1-3 and three on that trip. Uh, and the Eastern Conference just across the borders looked far more competitive, with the exception of Chicago and Atlanta right at the bottom end, than what I've expected. I mean, have you, have you been surprised, I guess, as I have been, about the stand of some of these Eastern Conference teams? I don't necessarily think it's going to maintain, but... It has been a nice start to the season for a lot of these teams. Well, in a word, uh, the yes and then no. So yes, and like the teams who we didn't know what they would be, like a Detroit or an Orlando. I think we probably thought, you know, both of us probably penciled Detroit as what a seven seed. I think we both had to make in the playoffs, yeah, right? Seven seed, yeah. Six seeds. They're like, yeah, they probably got, you know, talent to do that. And then Orlando, I think we probably thought was going to be a. 30 to 35 win team, but um, they've certainly surprised. But by the same token, right, there is wild expectations in in Philadelphia, and they've they have not met their expectations. If you're looking at wins and losses, um, the Heat have started flat. The Cavaliers have, you know, already put it into neutral. It seems they got they could be coasting for four, four or five months. Um, you know, Toronto's not really gone on the streak yet. Charlotte's been a bit clunky, so. Have they been better? Yeah, I think they've probably been better. They could have been worse. Like you said, Detroit went on a West tri- West Coast trip and won three in a row. Three in a three in a row. Um, <laughs> three in a row. Hello, Cushy Cushy Detroit won some gamey wamies. <laughs> Good for Stanley Wayne Van Gundy. Um, so, but yeah, I think my good was so my. I was going to say the other way to answer this, looking at all 15 teams, but my mind-blowingly good, because I've spent the better part of uh, the last 18 months of ridiculing them, is I watched the entirety of the Knicks-Cavs today, and I saw I saw competent NBA basketball out of the New York Knickerbockers. I saw shockingly decisive sets. I saw transition plays where you... The ball was moving and, and bouncing through, and you—it's like the players um, practiced. <laughs> it like there was crisp, decisive plays happening. Uh, Jarrett Jack isn't going to be mistaken any day soon for uh, you know for Russell Westbrook, but uh, he ran an offense efficiently. Um, Zinger is being more aggressive, and you know it's kind of fun watching him. LeBron would. You know, Brown was getting it bored, and so he took Zinger on and was defending him in the post. And Zinger's trying to back him down and not do it, and you know, trying to go over the top. And LeBron's just way too good at everything, and you know, forcing Zinger to shoot, you know, fadeaways over the top. And he actually hit a couple, but he kept at it, right? He kept at it. So I like that Zinger. Zinger feels like he's Giannis of 2016-17. Like I think Zinger's made a step, which makes me feel like, hmm, watch Zinger next year. Right, make a Giannis-like leap, and then um, I like way the way Hornacek again. I mentioned earlier came out and said we're going to play players who are um, earning their playing time. I'm watching guys like Kyle O'Quinn bust their ass and hustle for rebounds and do second chance stuff, and um, I'm, I'm watching God. I'm watching Inez Cantor, right? I'm watching Inez Cantor do Inez Cantor things, and he's just his body's everywhere, and he's fun all over the place and doing what he does 14 or 15 rebounds and just being a fucking nuisance. So my good of all my goods this week was I'm genuinely happy 
for the New York Knickerbockers again for one day and one day only. Yeah, they beat up on the on the Nets the other day as well, which is kind of nice. But I saw forget the wins and losses. It had been a long time since I'd seen competent, decisive, and cohesive. Cohesive is probably the word I'd use out of everything. That ball's flying around the perimeter. Courtney Lee's being found in the corner for open shots. Hardaway's creating. Transition looks are actually quite clean and not not sloppily run by Derrick Rose or fucking Carmelo. So I just liked and good on the fucking New York Knicks for playing two really competent NBA um, basketball games this week. Well, the thing so, I say too, Daz, I mean, just to pick up on that, if you yeah. where I saw that was coming from there, I went through the both conferences just in preparation before we start speaking. I thought there's there's positive stories, albeit only seven, seven, six, seven games into the season, but there's positive stories coming out of a lot of Eastern Conference teams at the moment. Like, Zinger's made a step. I mean, Miami have started slow, but Whiteside's been injured, so there's a few excuses there. The Cavs we'll get to later. Um, but the Nets are playing a really nice style of basketball. Not a lot of defense, but playing very fast. Uh, the Pacers looked very good today. They beat the Spurs, and Oladipo has had a fire lit under him this year. But I'll tell you what, Sabonis, the other guy they got in that trade, does. he got 22 points today. And he's just looking like a grown man now. Uh, a totally different player than what he looked last year. So there's positives there. The Giannis MVP talk, that's not going anywhere anytime soon, Daz. I don't know if you don't like hearing it or not, but um, and he's only 22, so you can only imagine how many 22-year-olds have really been in MVP conversations in the last, really, 50 years of the NBA. There's not been, there wouldn't have been a lot. So that's that's a great story coming out there. The magic we've touched on, uh, the Wizards and Celtics. Celtics have said steadied really well after starting 0-2 in the Pistons. Uh, Reggie Jackson's back. Um, Tobias Harris has been unbelievable on the offensive end. Uh, he's looking like he, as good as he was in Orlando. And then you sort of switch over to the West and not to sort of get into our bad too early, but there's teams there that we thought were going to be good, like Denver, like Minnesota, who have looked real, there's real big problems, it seems, there. Uh, and OKC okay, so haven't hit their straps yet, neither of Houston. Uh, the Spurs are still missing Kawhi. Golden State are four and three. They've sort of muddled their way through. So I, I just think there's a lot more positivity, I guess, coming out of the Eastern Conference at the moment uh, than what I would have expected. I mean, to be sitting here, you know, talking up the Orlando Magic and, and Detroit Pistons after the first two weeks, I, I didn't think that's where we'd be. Yeah, no, that's actually fair. That's that's fair. Now that you sort of inventory it that way, um, and you mentioned the the magic and Aaron Gordon, fuck, he's taken a leap, hasn't he? Um, well, he yeah, was shooting eighty six percent from three before today's game. He did shoot yeah. two of six today, so that's dropped down pretty quick. Pistons with a great road trip. The Celtics have won four in a row. I've just seen. I've also seen little flickers of things I really like about Kyrie. He had a rough shooting game. I watched him against Miami. It was. Bit of a, it wasn't the you know most beautiful game, but you know pretty good, uh, pretty good crunch time game, and just little things out of Kyrie just while we're on it was um uh, he wasn't having a great shooting game right, and the game was a bit a bit sloppy, and it was one of those sequences where it's you know about four minutes left in the third, and the stars have played the entire third quarter, and you know those sequences where one team turns it over. They throw it down the court and it gets intercepted. The other team runs back down, shoots a quick three. It's a break and it leads to a big outlet pass. 
but then it gets deflected and tipped and turned over and it goes back the other way. And yeah. they, you know, got your, it was one of those sequences where just nonstop, right? It was about a minute where it was just like three turnovers, four missed three pointers, just really frantic, right? The starters are getting tired. They know they're about to come out of the game. So it's someone's just trying to make a hero play. So someone's going to call a timeout. It's one of those frantic paces. And um, it was Baines. So Baines had been doing some dirty work. And Baines was fucking sucking air, right? He's just, you know, he's running from he's running from baseline to baseline while the rest of the, you know, all, the nine other guys on the floor running three point line to three point line. And Baines growing from from fucking end to end, and he did something where he made a great pick, and then someone made a shot, and he got an offensive rebound and tipped it out, tipped it out to Kyrie, and Kyrie had a wide open look. Kyrie did some, you know, like he does magic with the ball get some space and you know what? He flicks it right back to Baines who'd gotten sort of thrown to the floor, flicks it right back to him. Baines rises up and, and drills a 15 footer, right? Wide open, right? So both of them were getting wide open shots. And it was a little moment where like that was Kyrie given back to a guy, right? Mm. Baines had been fucking busting his ass and running end to end and tipped this ball out, kept it alive. And you know, he said, here you go, brother, you finish it off and, and let Baines. And of course Baines drilled it. So little tiny moment where I go, where I thought the Kyrie was going to be, you know, the king of hero ball basketball this year. And again, just a glimpse. I'm not going to go too far with it, but just a glimpse where I kind of go, I wonder, has he, you know, it showed me some awareness that showed me a little bit of I'm here for my teammates. So um, I don't mean to, I don't like to go too long about giving praise to the Knicks and the Celtics, but I've just done it. But anyway, I really liked what I saw out of Kyrie. Well, just on that too, the Celtics, yeah. the Celtics fans have adopted Aaron Baines as well. They're loving him there, and he, he plays hard every night. How couldn't you like that, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I know him for his Spurs days, obviously. So uh, maybe yeah. we'll have an Aussies in the NBA segment on Aaron coming up because uh, he's having he's had a nice start to the season uh, there in the Celtics. So uh, what was your next good uh, thing that you noticed? My only, I had a half of a good, so I was going to talk about more in the Eastern Conference. I happened to have a, a Eastern Conference heavy week this week, but it was, um, I think we just need to keep talking about it, but Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. So I watched a couple of Philly games and, um, you know, they've, um, they've actually hit the, hit the wind column here today. Um, but um, Ben Simmons, I almost don't know what else to, to say other than just to keep repeating and to keep saying what what we've been saying, but just I think from an on-court product, he's just, he's beautiful. He's just so fun to watch. He's powerful. He's fast. His passing already looks like it could be elite. Um, maybe not his vision yet, but the, but his passing is superior. And for what they've gone through, right? Cause the other thing that's been in the news recently, I thought you might've mentioned this in the news, but you know, Philadelphia is acknowledging it's working with Jalil Okafor's guys to, you know, to get him traded. Imagine being the number two, number three pick just three years ago. And had a, by many measures, he was productive. It's not like this is Anthony Bennett, mm. right? The guy just doesn't play. He's healthy and does not play. And aside from that little petulant stuff we saw early in his rookie season, he's been a model citizen, hasn't he? Yes. He's kept quiet. He. And that's probably all you can ask out of a guy like that, right, who has high expectations for himself, his family, his closest inner circle, you know, probably feeling like, what the fuck, right? Jalil, you know, come on, man. You know, find a modern game if 
if Timothy fucking Mozgov, and I saw it with my own eyes, Mozgov is shooting threes and Brooke Lopez is shooting six a game, and yet you're still being labeled as a, you know, yesterday's talent, you know, come on, man. So with Philadelphia's very, very known history with Noel and Okafor and Embiid's, you know, um, injuries and, and Saric kind of coming out of nowhere and having a nice season. And, and it's just nice to have one of their top guys <laughs> um, be healthy and deliver as expected. And I'm as sure as the day is long that I'd put any amount of money on pick your metric all-star teams or all NBA votes or whatever numbers of years in the league that Ben Simmons will win hands down over our guy like Joel Embiid. I think that's their first genuine franchise anchor. Um, hopefully Fultz can turn it around. But so just from watching him play going from LSU to this has been beautiful. And then in his context of so much tumultuousness and the medical stuff with Fultz and Okafor is going to get traded and they got a $23 million shooting guard who they need to feed. And, you know, um, uh, Amir Johnson taking minutes from Saric and so forth. And just all the things that are kind of not nice about Philadelphia. It's just fucking awesome to have Ben Simmons be the guy where you just know it, right? He passes the eye test. He passes the analytics test. He hasn't passed the shooting test yet, but that doesn't matter. We know how Giannis can shoot. So I'm just, I'm gushing like he is must see TV. Oh yeah, and the upside's real. I mean, because he's already sort of hitting the floater with some regularity. He's not finishing at the rim the way they'd like, but that will come. Uh, he's shown some good flashes on defense. He's always locked in on the defensive end. There's nothing. There's none of this. Andrew Wiggins, he's staring up at the stars. Yeah. Uh, or or Carl Anthony Towns sort of attitude. He is locked in every time down the floor. He's already a leader of the team. You can see other guys looking towards him. And with a strong personality already there in Embiid, I think that's that speaks volumes as well. Um, I don't think there's much question he's going to be the best Australian player that we've ever seen, health permitting. Uh, and look, look at the, the sky's the limit, really, the way he's already playing. And teams are already giving him the Giannis treatment. And he's just, it's, it's a different type of thing. Like Giannis is just a freight train. So if you, and we sort of touched on that last week, if you back off on him, he's just going to run straight over the top of you. Whereas Simmons is out thinking them. Like he, you're just giving him that little bit of extra space so he can see the court a bit better. And he's just sort of using that to his advantage and, and making the right plays. And honestly, I've watched him now, I think three or four times, and I'm yet to see him do a play where you just think, gee, that was just a bad decision. And that's so rare for a rookie in his first year. I understand he obviously had the year off last year, but he just seems to make the right decisions all the time in the court. I mean, and Brett Brown's already raved about his hoops IQ, so we we sort of knew that coming in. It's insane. Yeah, it's insane. Going to be going to be good. Yeah. You you actually touched on though. I'm going to jump ahead to my ugly because my ugly for this week was the Markel Fultz situation. I mean, have you ever seen a, a medical staff as incompetent as the Philadelphia 76ers? I mean, surely at some stage they've just got to come in and sack a lot of them. Or, I mean, maybe it's it's in their communications of it, and maybe the, the medical staff aren't so bad. But when you look at the history, even going back to Andrew Bynum, you look at the history of this team and how they've just seemed to have either mismanaged injuries or the communications been all over the place. Maybe that's been a bigger problem, but... Uh, can you remember a team ever just having consistent problems like this? 
Well, no is a short answer. Right, my second favorite team has has been the Suns forever, and they have the famously miraculous medical staff and their their physiotherapies, right, and everything they've done over the years. So I've not experienced. I can't remember. You remember a, a squad who's had this many sort of not just normal injury situations that just get is more complicated than they need to be. Um, but well, I look at you I, had Noel's missed the season, Embiid missed two seasons. Simmons missed the season. Bynum they traded for, and that's what sort of started the tankathon. And he was his career was over. I think he would he play three games for the team all up. You had Bayless last year. Now you've got Fultz, and the and the injuries that seem to start out. Oh, it's going to be two or three weeks. I mean, it, admittedly that wasn't necessarily the case with Embiid, Noel, etc. But um, a lot of times these injuries are it's going to be two or three weeks maybe a month, and it stretched out to two months, and all of a sudden it's the season. And now you've got a situation with Fultz where there's so many mixed messages coming out about the shoulder, and clearly something was wrong. I mean, he wouldn't he refused to shoot threes when he's out in the court. He's, the three throw looked like nothing I've ever seen before from an NBA player. It was just shocking. And this was a guy that was a very good shooter in college. Um, went and changed his style, but not not sure if he changed his style because the shoulder was hurting him uh, or because he thought it was going to be more effective. I, I sort of seem to feel like it, it's the former. Um, and if that's the case, why wasn't it diagnosed? And why were they even out there playing him at this point? I uh, mean, why not just so I get, so The medical staff, no question, is culpable. I still go back. I'm, again, I'm, I'm going to always place you know, the, the, the source of the blame on, on the leadership to not have come. How do you not have commanded this? How does Brett Brown not have 100, not 99? How does he not have 100% command and control of the data that he's receiving, the observations he's making about Markel's play, the, uh, the things that are happening in summer league, the things that are happening, you know, on his own time, how does a head coach not have command of it is for me question number one. So I think this falls on the feet of Brown, which no one's talking about. They're talking about the, you know, Fultz's agent comes out and says this rubbish about how he had fluid drained. And then the team's like, what? Fluid drained? And he comes out the next day and say, oh, no, sorry, I got the fluid wrong. It wasn't fluid drained. He got a cortisone shot. Oops, sorry. And so you got the agent stuffing it. How does the head coach not have command of how the number one draft pick that they traded up to get, how he is, how he's going to be, how he's performing, is he ready? And I go, this has been, this feels like it's almost Hinky part two, where the criticism of Hinky was not being transparent enough and trying to be, you know, trying to keep multiple versions of the truth or trying to be fucking Bill Belichick, where you have riddles wrapped in, you know, in, in subtlety and double entendres and insults, and you have no idea what the truth is. So that's the that for me is the two biggest problems about this is not I feel bad for the kid, right? But the biggest problems are why didn't Brett Brown have one fucking hundred percent command of this and control all the messaging? And then number two, the messaging, even now that it's been stuffed up, has been all over the shop. Like no one knows what to believe. Is it psychological? Is it physical? Is it physical that's turned psychological? Did he decide to shoot his um, change his shot on his own? Was he guided to do that? If 
if he was guided to do it, by whom? If he did it on his own, how did you not know about it? So I'm, I'm again, blood boiling on the leadership here. And I know that I'm going to tarnish the halo of Brett Brown is how the fuck do you not have command of your most valuable, quote unquote, one of your most valuable players? Well, that I think that boils my blood, Daz. You need to go into the 76ers, have a look at their organizational structure and say who's responsible for what because that's what it, it seems to come to me and I just think it doesn't seem like people either they don't know or it's just not being communicated who's responsible for these things and I agree with you and in the bucket some stage at least Brett Brown's got to be over these things as head coach uh, and clearly he hasn't been or uh, and again with with the changing of the shot you just it is it's strange that the guy comes into the camp and he's changed his shot and then there's a tell you what there's the one thing that NFL does well. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Mm. Um, you can interrupt me later and, and not apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one thing the NFL does well? And it's maybe not the NFL. The coaches, right? Mike McCarthy, who knows exactly when he can say things about injuries and right whether it's driven by gambling, I don't care. But right because injuries are such an enormous part of the NFL game. I know exactly, and so does he. Because he has to know exactly where his players are at. Are they ready or are they not? Because if they're not ready, I need to get someone else ready to play and step in for it. So I go, right, and he's got fucking 60 players, not to mention a practice squad of another, right, another 10, not to mention the guys on IRR. So say 70 players whose injuries are infinitely more severe than what we see in the NBA. And the head coaches and Belichick also would be absolutely over every fucking bone bruise and who's in the tank. You know, I mean, literally in the in the ice tank, they know exactly where every one of their 70 men are at and being ready. That's why I'm I'm going to be unapologetically coming down on Brett Brown on this one. How do you let this get to where it's at? It shows to me that he didn't either have command, didn't have information, was being too polite, turned the other cheek, trusted an assistant. Brett Brown did something to lose control of it, and now it's fucking off the fucking rails. Out, what Fultz is going to be out for weeks, and now, right, we got people like us going 10,000 miles away going, I have no idea what version of the truth is. Mm-hmm. And here there's this poor kid um, is, who knows, something's wrong with his shoulder and might be something wrong psychologically, and their coach can't tell us anything. Very. If I'm a Philly fan, I'm apoplectic. Thank God Ben Simmons is playing the way he's playing to take the attention off of this, but this would be the number one story in the league yeah, if he no wasn't. Doubt. No doubt. I'm sorry, Des, I interrupted you, but I'm... No, that's I fine, just, mate. How the NFL could be in command of 70 and you can have, can't have command of 15 mm-hmm. blows my mind. Yeah. So let's... Uh, well, uh, did you have any other goods, Des, before we move on to the bads of, of uh, week two? No, we're going to leave it Nicks and Ben Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to go. I want to go to the bad now. And I, I read a tweet from Bill Simmons earlier, and he said, "Well, let the week of uh, Cleveland Cavaliers panic begin on the internet, and let me kick that yeah. off, Daz, because I'm ready to panic on this team. I've watched them now about four times. They've had a cupcake schedule. They've probably had the weakest schedule in the league. Uh, the only good team they've played are the Bucks. Oh, sorry, and the Celtics in the first game." They actually won both of those. Uh, they, I think the Celtics game, a bit of an asterisk because of the, what happened with Gordon Haywood. They did play well against the Bucks. I'll give them that. Their other games have been against uh, the Pelicans, who blew them out. 
Orlando who blew them out, the Nets who blew them out, and the Knicks who blew them out. Average margin of loss has been 16.8 points. They were down 17 to the Bulls, and if Laurie Markinen wasn't on a minutes restriction, I firmly believe they would have lost that game as well. So, but let's give them that game. They obviously won it. Three and four, terrible start. And I just, and people keep thinking, oh, well, they're just going to come good. And I'd look at them and think, where's the improvement going to come from from this team? LeBron's playing balls out. He's been probably the second best player in the league so far behind Giannis. He's doing everything he can. Kevin loves putting up numbers. He's getting double-doubles every night. Cole Corver's still shooting well. It's not like Corver started ice cold. No, he's missed a heap of shots. Um, Derek Rose is doing his usual, putting up numbers. A bit of empty empty stats here. Has missed a few games from injury. Uh, Dwayne Wade's started, then he's moved to the bench, but he looks pretty much as advertised. He's pretty much done, certainly from being the best player or one of the better players that you, you could rely on night in, night out. And then I look at the look down further down the roster and you look at the 36-year-old Jose Calderon and you think, if Derek Rose is out and they did not have one nominal point guard on their roster apart from Calderon and he got a did-not-play coach's decision, why is he even on the roster? What is the point of him being on the roster? You may as well have a young guy there and hope he develops. That's just a complete organisational failure to, have, to give a roster spot to a guy that can't play. So, and I, again, I look at this team. Jay Crowder's playing terrible. Maybe you get a bit of improvement out of him, but where's the improvement going to come from when they're getting blown out by teams that aren't that great? Imagine if they went on a Western Conference road trip playing like this. There's no intensity to defence at all. I mean, Chicago scored 69 points in the entire game against OKC on the weekend. They had 69 points to half-time against the Cavs. Does this team not only is no commitment to defence, they've got no idea on defence. And they've got minus defenders all over the court. I just don't see where they're turning it around. It's not like LeBron started slow. LeBron started on fire. So where's the improvement going to come from? The five foot nine kid who's got the wonky hip. Who will be back in January. And you would imagine maybe. he's going to be back. In, well, it's not maybe. That's pretty much the official time time frame now. Is it? Yeah. Okay. And then you imagine if he comes back in January, he's not going to be right until February, 100%. So, and that's nearing the playoffs. So what's their record going to be at that stage? If they keep this sort of play up. <sighs> Here we go again. Well, look. Seven, talk, talk seven, me off the cliff. Seven straight... Well, the fucking San Antonio Spurs have supposed to have been shit for the last three years, and they still they still win games. We do this every year with LeBron. Maybe it's just not happening earlier in the year, right? Seven straight NBA Finals. Um, and we're not really, especially with Hayward Hurt, is anyone really yet worried that John Wall or the Bucks are going to overtake this team in October? So I go, I'm still not worried in terms of where – this team will be in May. Um, I, I just, I, I hear you and I, I get it. And uh, Dwayne Wade might very well be done. And Jay Crowder has been terrible. And what's weird is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They got 10 guys, right? Tyron Lou has got 10 guys who are averaging 18 minutes a game. So I go, that for me is this, you know, it's the other thing which is also happening all over the league when 
Los Angeles with the Clippers, with Houston, with OKC, with Minnesota. These teams with Boston, the significant turnover, they got guys who never played together. So they got that going on where they just haven't played together, right? So I kind of you have to under, you have to give a bit of the bit of leeway for that when you have so much turnover. Now playing ten guys deep, and then Rose missed three games, and he's back. So I kind of go, you know what? They they've been coasting. They coasted from February till May, and then basically swept the entire East before they were a few shots away from being, you know, having a having a close NBA Finals. So that's the that's well, the rational where side I sort of worry about it from the point of view. I understand a couple of years ago the Cavs still made the finals even though LeBron was pretty much the only player they had. Kevin Love goes down, Kyrie goes down. But that team was hard-nosed on defense. Like That was a defense-first team under David Blatt. This is now an offense-first team. And the offensive players just aren't good enough to keep up. I mean, you're now replacing Kyrie Irving with Derrick Rose. So that's essentially, you're probably 20 points a night worse off in, in the box score. Just from that alone, and where, where's the other points coming? Oh, from? that's a fair point. The other fair point was the <clears throat> going into last season, right? Because LeBron was the most LeBron in the Kyrie shot, right? Won in the finals. I think it's pretty safe to say that our um, the tombstone on the Cavaliers' 2016-17 season was that they overestimated how close they were to the Dubs, right? Yep. Is that fair to say? They just overestimated. They tweaked and didn't have nearly enough when the finals came around. So by the same logic, what did the Cavaliers write? Things out of their control a little bit with Kyrie, Kyrie bailing ship. And then now moving towards, you know, dinosaurs, right? Dinosaurs like Dwayne Wade, dinosaurs like um, Jose Calderon, um, and so on and so forth. That what's going to be... I guess I'm more in your camp in this regard. I'm not worried about them about getting the Eastern Conference Finals or the NBA Finals. I have 0.0% confidence this team, the way it plays, can compete for an NBA Finals, right? Mm. So I'm already kind of going, what's going to be, you know, the the post-mortem on this team if they get, they get swept or lose in five again in the Finals to, let's say, Golden State or... <laughs> or Eric Gordon's Houston Rockets is going to be what youth and athleticism, right? And playmaking. So that's what they, that's what they, do. or is it defense? Maybe it's going to be all three of those things because what they added a bunch of dinosaurs isn't going to get it done. Mm, that's so I'm, I guess I'm, I'm not worried, but I also, you know, where's the improvement going to come from immense pressure going to be put on Isaiah to change the way they play. And make them well, even guess, more offensive force, right? To your point, I guess there might be some continuity improvements to come that we're not sort of seeing yet. But I just the more I see this team, I just think it's a deeply flawed roster. Isaiah's not coming back until January, and who knows what their record's going to be by then. I just think it's it's not time to be fully blown panic. Certainly not saying that anyone is going to knock them off. But if they have another couple of weeks like this, then I think it will be time to... Um, to dust off the panic button and then Ty Lu might even find himself looking for a job a la David Blatt from a couple of years ago. Look, it could go off the rails. It could. Because when I say, you know, you said they beat the Bucks and the Celtics, but the Celtics was the, the gruesome Hayward game. 
and the Bucks game was really close. And then all of a sudden, um, Kyle Corvert hit three threes, and a game that was really close turned to 14 points just like that um, in the early part of the fourth, late in the third. And the Bucks just couldn't hit a shot. So I would say that Cleveland had four great minutes in that game, and then that was it. Kind of like today with the Knicks. The Knicks had built this lead, right? They had a 17, 18-point lead. And then, boom, you saw Cleveland dialed in, rebounding, offensive rebounding, running, hitting the open three, executing. Uh, the screens are crisp. And boom, 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 boom. An 18-point lead goes down to, like, what, four? Wasn't it like 13 nothing or 14 nothing run? I think I even texted you. I go, this game's over. Guess what happened? Yeah, and what did the Knicks went on back? I said that all back in the Knicks scene. You did. You were right. Then they stopped playing. They, they went right back to they played four electric minutes, the 18-point lead down to four, and then after a Jeff Hornacek timeout. It's not like they're being, you know, <laughs> going up against Pop or Carlisle or, you know, so Donnie, Don Nelson Sr. over there drawing up some wizardry. With Jeff fucking Hornacek with Jarrett Jack coming out and Courtney Lee running a beautiful play off of the timeout where the four points went right to seven. Then they did a clunky shot and seven points went to nine and that was it. They never got back to it. So they played, they played four great minutes today and lost. They played four great minutes against the bucks and won that one. And I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't see the Boston game. So I don't know what they, 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 they played like that game, but they haven't put a full game together yet. And I go, that might, that's the one thread I can buy is if the team develops so many bad habits for six months, eventually, right? Eventually it will catch up to you. And I think the a healthy a healthy Wizards or a healthy healthy Bucks with um a, an MVP like Giannis breathing fire, um, you know, come come May. Uh and, and I guess I'm not scared of anyone else. I'm not scared of not scared of Boston or Toronto. Yeah, let's just see Boston. I mean, certainly Toronto is yeah. not yet, but let's just see if Boston can continue. Um, yeah, play. Uh, I'm, I'm going to watch Boston tomorrow against the Spurs, so I'll give well, you a report on that. Yeah, and that's I guess that's my. Yes, we we'll talk about Cleveland probably too much this year. Is that I'm not worried because I go, yep, they're only they really don't care until May. And do they care if they get a four seed or five seed? They didn't care if they got the one seed. Then why? Then why does it even matter? If you don't have home court, you don't have home court. It's like, does it really matter if they get the home the home seed? What if they oh, look, what if, if they go forty five and yeah, thirty seven? If they yeah. play like they did last year, why matter if they get the seven seed? But I just I think you worry when the on off switch is there, and then you turn you go to turn it on, and uh, nothing happens. And that's what we saw at the end of my well, era. For LeBron, you go to and, go to turn it on. And when the lights turn on, it's Derek Rose, Jeff Green, and Dwayne Wade. Yeah, and that's the thing, Des. They're coming up against teams that have got real, genuine athleticism, like the Bucks and the Wizards, and you're running out with with these decrepit old men. It's, um, yeah, it's it's not it's not good. And they're they're asking LeBron to do a hell of a lot. Um, And at some stage, he's got to have some help. And that's where Kyrie was obviously a great player. And obviously, they're hoping that, that Isaiah Thomas. We'll do the same thing. But what was your bad uh, for this week too, Des? It was, I was going to say bad, but it it was more sad, Mm. is um, watching Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah. And I I almost, so I didn't want to call it in, it's not a bad category, but he was, 
Um, I'm going to say it. He was unplayable in crunch time, and he couldn't get up and down the court quick enough. He's lost another step. He couldn't be trusted with the ball. He was kind of shaky with it. Their defenders were crowding him out the three-point line, and he looked like a guy who I'd never, ever seen it from Dirk. He looked like a guy who in his own mind said, oh, shit, I need to get rid of the ball. Like, I don't think he believed he could make the play anymore. And so I was watching, you know, J.J. Barea and um, Harrison Barnes try to play hero ball, which can he can do for a couple plays in a row, but then he can't in the other couple plays. So Harrison Barnes, I think, is I think we're learning his ceiling is also a Harrison Barnes like ceiling. He's going to be a million miles away from a, you know, from a Giannis. He's kind of like a really good Markeith Morris, um, really nice player, but just he's not. He's hit his ceiling, and so it's sad. It's sad and hard to watch Dirk um, not want the ball, not get the ball. And when he gets the ball in crunch time, he's looking to offload it because he can't do anything with even a, a semi-aggressive double team. He doesn't have a, a jab step. He doesn't have a head fake. He can't lift up over the top. And it was just a – it was hard to watch. You know, I'm almost – you can tell by the tone of my voice. I didn't enjoy it. But I've now seen it. Now I've watched the Mavs twice this year, and it's not been – it's not been pretty, Daz. So uh, you probably can relate as a watching um, eleven five of your favorite forty five year old players from Manu to Timmy. You know, Timmy had a more elegant, I think. You know, slower. You know, fifty fifty win seasons and championships. You know, in his you know late thirties, and here is Dirk, um, surrounded by Harrison Barnes, trying to prove to the world he's good, and most for the most part, you know, kind of not, and. Dennis Smith just trying to dunk on everyone and it's not really working. And, you know, little JJ Barea collecting his paycheck, trying to make the heady play, but he's about as half as athletic as Matthew Dellavedova. And so just watching Dirk surrounded by that team, you know, they're going to be fucking terrible. They won't, they won't win. They barely, uh, they won't win 20. Will they win 20? No, Maybe they're, that's they're, an awful, they're awful terrible. And they just, they're awful. The, the roster doesn't make sense. Uh, and the, and the thing no. for Dirk is too because he's not so Timmy Duncan the last couple of years he could still because he was such a great defender, defend yeah he could still defend and just the vision that he had on on defense and just sort of getting guys to know where to go um, yeah his last season he was he was a, certainly a shadow of, of the player that he was uh, you know he had a couple of decent games he obviously had a bit of a throwback game in the very last game against AKC but at least he could rely on his defense whereas Dirk's really got nothing to fall back on at the moment um, I did see him hit a couple of threes in their win against the Memphis which was nice to see but I, I, I'm seeing the same things and I haven't watched a lot of Dallas because they're just a depressing team it's just like what are they? I mean, when JJ Barre's coming out and taking big shots after big shot for you, your ceiling's pretty low. Um, as much as we like JJ as, a, as maybe a six or seventh man on a good team, and he's obviously part of their championship team, uh, but th- this is not a team that's going anywhere. And there's really not much hope. I mean, I suppose Dennis Smith's looked okay, but it's I, I worry for Dennis Smith. I'm already seeing some bad habits creep into his game, and that happens with losing teams. It's always better to come in as a rookie to to state the blatantly obvious uh, in a winning situation because you're not going to be making those mistakes and you can sort of grow up around um, you know great players and 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 grow up around winning 
in terms of uh, your NBA career. So, and he's not going to be able to do that. No, I, th- I agree with you. I think they're going to struggle to get the 2025 wins this year. Mm-hmm. Nerlens Noel looks checked out most of the time. He has not played well. He's playing all. not to get hurt. We knew, we knew that the way that that mm-hmm. the, the contract negotiation was going to go. He's going to mail it in most nights. He's not going to go up over the top. He's not going to go up for the alley-oop. He's not going to try and you know, contest aggressively on fast breaks. He's not going to try and do the chase down. He's not coming from the, he's not, he just won't. And why, and again, this is kind of when we always have to remind ourselves that these are jobs for these guys and they have, they all look after themselves first and then they look after the team, right? So they're looking after themselves first. And Dennis Smith is looking after himself coming to the league, right? Passed over till the ninth pick and forever going to be compared to Lonzo and to Fultz and to, and to Monk and to De'Aaron Fox and coming in ninth, he's like, he wants to be on ESPN. He wants to be on the highlights. He wants to be, right, he wants to be tweeted about. That's what you can see Dennis Smith is playing for. Mm. Wes Matthews has got a nice big paycheck after the blown Achilles, and he's playing to, I don't know, they tell him he needs to shoot and make three, so he shoots them and they don't go in. And J.J. Barea, I just can't believe he's in the NBA but ironically enough, has one of the highest PERs on their entire team, so you can't complain about him. Yogi Ferrell was an undrafted kid who had a nice little, you know, nice little story, and he completed rotation eighth player, but he's playing way too many minutes. NASA do too much and choked at the end of that game against Philadelphia that they blew. Mm. And then Devin Harris, who was older than God, playing minutes. And there's guys like D. Powell, Maximilian Kleber, Jeff Whitey, Dorian Finney-Smith, Jan Clavel. I, did, I didn't know those names until I read the list of their roster after the Philadelphia game. These guys are averaging 10 minutes a game, Daz. Mm. And so at the same time, you got, you've got, um, what's his face? Um, the awesome coach, Carlisle, mm. trying to do the right thing, which is, you know, get the young guys involved. He just doesn't have any talent. So, all right, enough piling on the Mavs. Poor Dirk. I feel sad for him. I'm sure other NBA players have gone out this way with, you know, unceremonious, depressing um, finishes. Like, I don't know. I can't remember one. Well, but Kobe deserves Kobe. to go out on a bad team, but uh, Dirk doesn't deserve this. He doesn't deserve it. But He doesn't deserve it. Hopefully we'll see a throwback game at some point, and then he might just say, well, that's it. I'll roll it off into the sunset. So this is the price of loyalty, right? This is the This is the price, and... This will no doubt, I guess, Dirk in his mind thought that staying loyal to the franchise will get him, uh, I don't know, he can sleep at night. Maybe it's just his value system or a relationship with the fans he probably thought he wouldn't have after retirement. But all, again, I I think it was flawed. You know, Carl Malone, everyone forgets Carl Malone left, but no one will ever forget him as the franchise, you know, the Utah Jazz and Right, I go, this is player after player after player who's left at the end of the career. I'm just wishing Dirk would have, you know, done something and, I don't know, go play go play 20 minutes a game on Houston and, you know, be a brilliant on the second unit and, and something like that. Well, he almost for sold fucking Golden San Antonio, State. right? Golden State, he San almost Antonio. There. Yeah, I don't know, San Antonio might be a stretch. The Dallas fans wouldn't have taken too well yeah, yeah, to fair, playing but, there, I, I yeah. would imagine. Um, I'd, I'd certainly love to have seen him in silver and black, um, but pretty yeah. much earlier in his career when he used to kill us in the playoffs. 
Uh, what was your other bad uh, days? Uh, no, that was my only. Oh, that was your only bad. Yeah, I've got a couple uglies, but that was my only bad. Okay, it was that one in in, in Fultz was my was my bad. Yeah. yeah, let's let's move on to the uglies, and I've had my ugly, which was Fultz, which sort of corresponded with your bad. Uh, what other ugly things have you seen in the NBA last week? Well, I guess it's two teams, and I don't want to spend time on both of them, so I'll mention them in the same breath, and it's the. Um, a team that was a, a thorn in my side all last year, which was Charlotte and um, and the Nuggets. They've both been in my ugly camp, and both have I've seen confusing lineups. I've seen a lack of lack of playmaking. I've seen a lack of leadership on both teams. I've seen on Charlotte's side. I've seen Kemba try to be James Harden, literally. And I was I was listening to the um, the Hornets broadcast where they kept saying it as well, even in the same in the same tone I'm saying it was that he goes to the hoop, thinks he should draw the foul, doesn't get it called and pouts, comes back down the defensive end, doesn't try. They get the ball back. Mm. He gets the ball back more pissed off, drives the lane, goes up, double clutches, misses a terrible shot, thinks he should get, should get a call. He doesn't. The other team goes back down and scores. Now he's doubly pissed off. What happens on the next possession? Kemba gets it again. I'm going to go to the hoop. I'm going to get a call. He doesn't get a call four times in a row, literally four times in a row in that Houston game, thinking he was going to be thinking he's James Harden and not getting anything because he's not, doesn't know how to play with leverage angles, body control, etc. So I haven't liked at all what I've seen from Charlotte. I think Steve Clifford must have, he's probably going to have to get one of those mouth guards or, Maybe, I don't know, just get some false teeth. I think he's been grinding his teeth to a pulp. Have you ever see Steve Clifford anything but a teeth-grinding scowl? Um, and it's funny because they play quite cohesively. They actually play kind of cohesive ball, except when Kemba goes crazy, except then when I saw Dwight touch the ball. And Dwight's still a fucking beast. He can get every rebound that he wants, Right. And he's still quite a really good finisher, but man, oh, here we are again, you know, in Los Angeles, in Houston, in Atlanta. It's just rinse and repeat. They're doing pick and rolls with Dwight, and he's fucking demanding the ball on a pop and then spinning and dribbling from 18 feet away and trying to make a play mm-hmm. and shoot some fucking floater. And he's getting 17, 18 shot attempts, and they're not going in, then he's missing every free throw. So, Charlotte's suffering from a lack of talent. They're suffering from Kemba wanting to be the next level of star, and he's not there yet. Um, and almost similarly, just insert different players' names. What I'm seeing is just not working in Denver. I saw I saw an eight-minute stretch today, eight minutes in the third quarter. Jokic playing next to Mason Plumley, yeah, Marshall Plumley. Mason Plumley, right? Maximilian Plumley, <laughs> like motherfucker. I'm sorry, wasn't Jokic like this uh, unicorn five last year? Now you're asking him to play the four, and he's up on the wing and over in the corner and up on the, you know, up on the horn, setting picks up top for for Moutier. I guess what has happened to their lineups? And so I, I just different. I guess Charlotte's lineups are fine, but Denver just looks like they're. There's a bunch of chuckers. Like every time Wilson Chandler comes in the game, he's chucking. Then Barton comes in the game and he's chucking. 
Oh, D- Gary Harris c- touches the ball and he's chucking it. Oh, Moutier realized he's actually healthy, so he's going to shoot. It's just chuckers. And then again, they got this near max contract and Paul Millsap. That's my other ugly in the league. We got Paul Millsap, Kevin Love, and Carmelo Anthony, the most overplayed dudes who stand in the corner waiting for the young guys to fucking do something. Fucking shits me off. So Denver does not have it figured out yet. They don't know how to run an offense through Paul Millsap. Their rotations look weird. And they got a bunch of chuckers. And I go, add them to the Bledsoe conversation? What? So, Den- so Denver for me is just a question mark, exclamation point. Or as we say in Australian, like, I, I want to issue a please explain. You know, to the, like, please explain what's going on. Because it doesn't make any sense. Well, what uh, I'm seeing from them is they don't play a lick of defense. But they have no point guard play. Like they literally don't have a point guard. They had no. a point guard on the roster, and they cut him for Richard Jefferson, who's played all of two minutes since going there. So if you can work that roster construction out, I mean, Jameer Nelson's not in the upper echelon of the point guards, but he made sense for that team. And that's a veteran guy that can come in and just calm the play down and say, this is what we need to do for a few plays. You know, and sometimes you need that. And now they've got two young guys in um, Jamal Murray and Moutier. The only thing I could, I'm 100% with you, and I, you know, I don't want to overstate the value of Jameer Nelson, even though he saved New Orleans already this season. Um, he's just a heady, heady player. It's the only thing I can think of is they just want to quote unquote create, you know, create the minutes for Moutier and Murray. That's the only. It's the only rationale I could think of when they just go, you know what, we want you to go play somewhere. So that might have been one of those player-friendly things, even though it's going to cutting off their nose to spite their face. And I wanted, to, I was embarrassed for myself watching watching Richard Jefferson enter the game in garbage time with two minutes left. You know, they're up 25 or something against Brooklyn. Like he's on a farewell tour, and I'm like, I'm sorry. Richard Jefferson's played the Nets. <laughs> several times like did they think they're doing them a favor and they go guess what he played in new jersey not in brooklyn yeah. but here they are in brooklyn in the ceremonial check literally checked him with two minutes to go a 25 point game and they go you give up jameer nelson to do this to embarrass one of the gentlemen of the league and richard jefferson i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe it i go what fucking brand of clown college coach has taken over the the body of Malone, right? Mike Malone. Yeah. yeah. Mark, Mike Malone. Mike Malone. So I'm, I'm upset. I'm more upset with Denver because they have a lot of the, a lot of raw materials. Charlotte just lacks the talent. And again, I'm still gonna, I gotta talk about Dwight. Two sides of the same coin. He's a fucking beast who creates extra chances and extra shots right in the offensive end for Lamb and for, and for Monk and for Kemba. And he fucking. Dwight Howard still is in shape. You look at that guy. He looks like it, he could still win a cage fight against pretty much anyone in the league. But um, I'm just pissed off at Denver because I wanted them. I wanted them to be that exciting 120-point-a-game team this year. And they look – they're lost so far. Yeah, I think with Charlotte, I think they're going to be about where we expect – I still expect they're going to be around 6-7 seed in the East. Uh, particularly once Batum comes back, I think they're going to improve – a little bit, and and Mike Gilchrist has only just played his first couple of games of the season as well, which at least helps him from a continuity point of view. Uh, Denver, I sort of started out really high on them when they signed Millsap, and then just before the season, I was a bit like, oh, I'm not 100% sure on this team, and 
Uh, I think I ended up moving down about the sixth seed. I'm not, I don't even think they're going to be that high. I wouldn't be surprised if Mr. Plaffs, the way they're going. They just look horrible. And, uh, yeah, just to have no point guard play and no defence, it's just not a good uh, recipe for success in today's NBA. So, and, and I agree with you. I think they've got to sort the lineups out. And, and you you wonder on the the uh, how much sense it made to bring Mason Plumley back on the contract they did as well. And maybe now they feel like, well, we've got to play him a certain amount of minutes a game, even if it doesn't make sense. So um, it's it's not a not a great start decision. But look, still early days, I guess, for Denver. But um, again, not not a murderous row of a schedule for them either. So I'd be a, a little bit concerned if I'm a Denver Nuggets fan uh, going forward. So, but as we might move on, I, I have got a quiz ready for you if you're if you're feeling up to it tonight to end on. All right, I got to finish my my um my shot of tequila here, and all right, I'm ready for it. <laughs> So we've got. I'm going to give you active leaders in in certain categories. So if you know the, who the active leaders are in those categories, so career uh, or career. So we're going to start with points. Now, obviously, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is number one in points. But who is the active leader? Player still playing with the most number of points. Dirk. It is Dirk. You're right. All right. Or you should get that one. There so, we go. Topic of conversation. What about rebounds? Active rebounds leader. Um, Zebo. No. Not Zebo. I only picked it because he's 100 years old. Um, Dwight Howard? It is Dwight Howard, yep. Oh, right, so, here we go. Zebo's oh, 39th all time, but it is Dwight Howard, so you're off to a good start. Yeah, not bad. Assists. Um, active assist leader. Who's a dinosaur that's still out there? Andre Miller is retired, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. I need a quick. That's when he got at the standings, not the, not the players list to get a glimpse of the teams. Um, oh, Harden's not old enough. Neither is Rubio. Um. Oh, you probably well, it's a guy. You've already mentioned this a uh, guy on the same team as as the guy it is. <laughs> I have mentioned a guy on the same team. Vince Carter. He wouldn't not have assist. No, 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 no. Um. Oh, is it um? Is it? It's not Tony Parker, is it? No. You'll kick no. it off when you when you hear it. Oh shit! I'm missing it. I'm I'm blind. I'm I'm blanking. Sorry. Who is it? Come Chris on. Chris Paul. Oh, for God's sakes! Right. Actually, I didn't think you would have been old enough. To, that's that's pretty impressive, actually. All right. Okay. So, what about blocks? Is that Dwight as well again? That's Dwight. Yeah, just ahead of Power Gasol. Actually, Power Gasol's uh, not that far behind him. Steals. Active steals leader. Oh my god, that's obscure. Um, who's got old players? Is that Chris Paul as well? It is Chris Paul as well. Yeah, I was going to say. That's... Yeah, I get... he's yeah. I would have picked him ahead of the, before. I would have picked him for assists. Yep. And what's the last one? Uh, 
the last one I was going to give you games played, but that's a bit too easy because it's Dirk again. Let's go three pointers made. Well, there's an interesting question. Who's made more three pointers, Steph or this is a good Corver. one actually. I'm going to go Corver then. I would have said Kyle Corver, and I would have been wrong, as a you are wrong. So it's not, you want to have another guess? Not, it's not Steph not Curry, no. No, right. Um, Mira said to let, to let it <laughs> Well, you got the now, right team. You got the right team. Oh, Jason Terry. Yes, there of you course, go. the Jet. Good, 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 good. Yeah, okay. So That's there a good you one. go, Dad. So... Um, well, that is our, our quiz for tonight. You did pretty well there, actually, I thought. Oh, yeah, the assist one you should have got, I guess, with Chris Paul, but maybe... I blanked on that. Yeah, you yeah. don't think him, him as being that old, I guess, but he has been unbelievable um, in terms of assists. The last thing I wanted to talk to you, if, you, if you're listening at home, go onto YouTube and watch the dunk that Donovan Mitchell pulled off in the Lakers game. Uh, if that's not the dunk of the year... I don't know what will be because I, that's one where you just jump out of the chair and you just go, oh, my God. That, did you see that live or did you just see the uh, the replay? No, I didn't see it live. I saw the – I saw the – I saw a Twitter feed come through um, late at night. I saw that and I'm like, oh, my God, if you haven't seen this, you have to see it. Yeah. So, it's, how can we do justice by our words? You just – Google, yeah, Donovan Mitchell, Duncan, and it's sure to come up. That that should win Dunk of the Year already. I can pretty confidently say that on the 29th of October. That was ridiculous. Unless I think the only one that might have might have beaten it if Aaron Baines hadn't gotten in the way when Giannis took off from like 14 feet and his arm sometimes looks like it's 14 feet long. He's like a windmill from the middle of the lane. And old Aaron Baines said, no, not, not on my watch. But poor, but poor Aaron Baines took the brunt of it. So Giannis got shoved aside. And, you know, obviously Baines got called for a, uh, not even a flagrant, just a regular foul. But Baines, <laughs> I took quite gratitude in that gratification. He's on the ground writhing in pain from the <laughs> he got nine... foul. He got a foul call. He got the foul call. Well, Giannis has nine elbows and, <laughs> you know, eight knees and, you know, 115 fingers coming at him that are all you know, a meter long. So, uh, he's yeah, like... I think given where Embiid and uh, Giannis are taking off from at times for some of their dunk attempts, there may be, <laughs> there may be a challenge at some stage. Could, still... But that Donovan Mitchell one, that was... Uh, He's got Andrew Wiggins' athleticism to just jump out of the gym. Look, I was I was have a preference for the shorter guys who can get up and look at that sort of that sort of power, but that was that was fun. I must have watched it ten times. Yeah, I had to watch it again when you said <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, it was it was great. It was yeah. unbelievable. So, so yeah, right. the rookie class the rookie class Daz has not disappointed, have they? Poor Marker Markel Fultz aside, it's been a we even I thought for sure your good was going to be Lowry Markkinen, but maybe we'll get him have a few more good games. We'll, we'll get him. I mean, he did sort of slow down week. a little bit, but yeah, he he's looked. The, the thing that's impressing me is not that he's getting points. I mean, they're a terrible team, but he's pulling down double figure rebounds nearly every game, and he's beating grown men for those rebounds. So if you're a Chicago Bulls fan, I think there's a lot to be excited yeah. about. Um, in baby zinger, of, baby zinger, yeah, could yeah. be. That's right. So did you have a – last thing, did you have a marquee matchup for this week? Have you looked ahead? 
in the draw? Well, no, it's a homer matchup, but I've I've got um, OKC at um, Milwaukee um, uh, in Australia. It'll be Wednesday morning, so it's oh, Tuesday night okay. game. So I think that'll be a bit of fun. Two teams kind of, you know, that I enjoy watching, obviously. But um, mm. but no, I've got I've got my eye on. I need to watch the. Um, I'm trying to tick off the teams I'm interested in, and so I saw Charlotte, I saw Philly, I saw uh, Denver this last week. So I've got to I've got to watch the um, the Pistons and the Magic and the Grizz. We didn't talk about the Grizz not getting nearly enough love. So Pistons, Magic, and uh, Grizz are going to be on my my league pass this week. Yeah, well, the Grizz Who are you going to watch? Five and one, they're the best team in the NBA at the moment. So yeah. Uh, look, I'll have to be honest with you, Daz, I didn't do my homework on that, so uh, okay. I'm just going to throw out the Spurs-Boston tomorrow because I know that's a game I will be watching, see if the Spurs can avoid a three-game losing streak uh, by heading into Boston. But uh, I am looking forward to seeing Boston in it since I haven't seen them since they started 0-2. I haven't seen any of their wins other than the highlights, so I'm interested to see just uh, what they're doing there. I did see a little bit of them against the Bucks, actually. Uh, I hate look, to say it, but they well. just... They're well coached, and Tatum looks good, and Jalen Brown will be up and down, but he's his arrow's pointing straight up, and Kyrie looks like he's fitting in. But uh, so I think the um, maybe the I'll go Marquee then will be uh, as fate would have it, Orlando at Memphis um, in a couple of nights here. That's on the first. Oh, okay, Believe that yeah. is one worth worth watching too. That would be interesting. Really fast. Yeah, that's right. So that one, and uh, if I I'll find a Pistons game. So uh, and hey, kudos to the. The Pelicans as well. They won a couple games this week too. Yeah, look, hopefully we'll... Uh, I mean, look, hopefully they'll stay... Uh, the boogie AD dynamic's working this year. You can't deny it. They've, they've been really good together. It's just they've got nothing on their bench, literally nothing. But each one more has been playing well. And Drew Holiday, when he's making shots, he's good. Um, and as you touched on earlier, Jimmy Nelson's just been a bit of a steadying influence um, off the bench for them. And just on Memphis too, Memphis lost to Michael Green as well for an extended period. That's basically yeah. their third best player. Um, and they're still coming in. And look, it just shows, you know, in the Spurs and Memphis, you know, the infrastructure's right. You get good coaching. Uh, we spoke about Fithar last year. I love David Fisdale as a coach. Uh, so, you know, you, you've got that sort of... It's just a matter of, you know, with the Spurs and with the Grizzlies, they're not going to get guys to try and play out of out of their comfort zone. They're just going to be like, what does this guy do? Well, that's what he's going to do, and we're not going to get him to do anything else. And I think there's there's, there's a lot to be said for that, um, not sort of letting guys go out of their sort of square too far. And when you've got two star players like Mike Conley and, and Marcus Gasol helps as well. Yeah. i I got I got to spend more time with, with the Grizz. That's an easy team to overlook. I think we both... None of neither of us had them pegged for the playoffs. Well, they've, and they've beaten, they've beaten, they've, they've not had a cupcake schedule. We talked about soft schedules. They've beaten Golden State and Houston already this season. Yeah, they've beaten Houston twice. Beaten, beaten Houston twice, exactly. Yeah. I, I thought that was the case, yeah. but they didn't want to 100% say. The only loss yeah. they've had, or funnily enough, has been to the Mavs. Yeah. And just, that was just a yeah. night where they just weren't 100% on. So, I get, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a good look to them. They play the Hornets, I think, coming up next. And so, mm. and um, you'll, uh, maybe you didn't see it, but um, he'd been either ignored or booed for the first, um, first, first season in a bit. But uh, Chandler Parsons scored 24 points off he the did. bench the other night. And Shot just uh, 9 of 11. Lit it up. 
Mm-hmm. It looked like Parsons of, you know, 2014. So, um, and the crowd went crazy. So I go, what? they got an amazing fan base down there as well. How that little city is so ravid, uh, ravenous for basketball, you have to respect it. Mm. Almost like Portland that way. Just amazing basketball um, fans on there. So it's just awesome to see a crowd who was literally booing Parsons um, uh, a few nights before. Um, I forget which game. If it was the Rockets or the Mavs, but getting booed, and then all of a sudden the place went fucking crazy when he redeemed himself. So mm. that was nice to see. Nice to yep. see. All right, Daz, we'll look plenty to look forward to for this week, but uh, we'll leave it there, and then we'll catch up again next week, and hopefully there's plenty more news and uh, great games to talk about. The question, well, do you think Eric Bledsoe will be traded by the time we have our next pod? No. I'm with you. I think it's going to get... I think Phoenix is going to hold out for a while, and I don't think they're going to get many good offers, and now they've backed themselves in the corner and can't play the guy. I think That's Kawhi not... Leonard will play before Eric Bledsoe's... I hope Kawhi Leonard will play. Yeah, no kidding. Bledsoe That's Kawhi coming back. Get, uh, yeah. So, but yeah. now I think it could be... I, I, I think it could be a month or more. I don't think Phoenix are in any rush. Oh, brutal. So brutal. it's not a good, not a good situation at all. Not a good situation. Mm. Okay, buddy. Have a good day. No worries, mate. We'll talk soon. See you, pal. Okay, bye.